Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete. Another touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar fans. Welcome on into Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte. Good times. In the world of Cougar sports right now, we're going to unpack that win over Kansas. A historic win at Allen Fieldhouse. I was there in Lawrence. What an epic scene that was. We'll go through all of that with you today. And then also, BYU football spring practice is underway. You'll hear from Chase Roberts, hear from the coaches, players, and so much more. So much to get to over these next three hours, Matt. You might have buried the lead, though. Cougar Sports Saturday after a long hiatus. We're back live. It feels like it's been forever since we've had a show from 12 to 3. Last two weeks, BYU Hoops had been playing at this time. They'll play later tonight as they host TCU. So, man, it is good to be back. But as you mentioned, we got to start things off with that absolutely enormous victory in Kansas. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. 76-68, BYU goes to the fog, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and takes down the Kansas Jayhawks in what, and we'll discuss this later in the show, is that the best win in the history of BYU basketball? You can chime in as well. Text us 575 Zero zero. Where does this rank on all-time BOU basketball wins? But before we get to that, Mitch, what was the atmosphere like? What was the scene like? You were there. You covered it for KSL Sports. Maybe give us a recap of, of just what that venue was like. It was pretty special, and I thought it was so neat to see the history of the Kansas basketball program in that building. You know, there's certain places where you just always watch as a kid growing up and to think that BYU not only was playing in that stage, but they were a conference equal. You know, it's one thing to just go in for one one-off games. BYU football and BYU basketball have done that many a times in big settings. But to go into that game and know that this has conference ramifications, that was pretty cool. And... First time BYU was there since 1971, and, you know, there was just so much history, too. Everything's a bench. You know, the the size of the arena is not that big, yet it packs in 16,000 fans because everything's a bench, including the media members. We had to sit on wooden benches. And just you can just feel the history of basketball. And, you know, the, the pregame hype video was the type of hype video where you feel like, man, I'm sure a lot of teams lose by just watching that video because – you see James Naismith, the Peach Bucket. You see the history, Paul Pierce, Wilt Chamberlain. You see all these great Kansas players that have been through there, and then they lay out the stats in the hype video of all the championships, conference championships, and you go, wow, you're facing this program. And BYU kind of tuned that out and, and got this win, but it was really cool to be there. And what I also like, too, and this is kind of a outside-the-box thought, I loved how... In timeouts at Allen Fieldhouse, it wasn't about 
hey, here's this half-court shot presented by insert company. It was just band, fans, they were the ones creating the energy. Almost every time out, there was a few exceptions where they would do uh, some, you know, half-court shot or whatnot, but it was not this, you know, ramming it down your face of corporate sponsor this, corporate sponsor that. It was just the band, the music. It was just cool, and Kansas's band plays a lot of the similar songs to BYU's, and maybe that's what made BYU feel comfortable at home, that they heard all the, the same band, but I, I just thought it was really neat, and I just feel you can feel the history because those people they care and all those fans from the new you know freshman college student down to all the way up to you know the fifty year season ticket holder those people were up on their feet cheering pretty cool setting. Here's what BYU's head coach Mark Pope had to say about what made that win against the Jayhawks so great. This is really special. I think it's special because we all have such deep respect for this program and this venue. You know, I, I think all three of us are lifelong college basketball fans, and this arena and this team and this coach and these players, you know, it's just a, it's an all-time mecca. And so I think that's what makes it special. Specific to this game and what this means going forward for BYU, Mitch, one of the reasons I thought the win was so significant, everything you said is 100% true. Your conference foes, this is the this is the uh, top program in in Big 12 basketball. That's what, everyone was chasing Kansas. That's what you want to become over a long sustained period of time. But when you dive in on the way that BYU was able to win, I thought it was really impactful and it gives me a lot of hope going forward as BYU is in in my opinion easily stamped their ticket now to the NCAA tournament. Now you're just playing for where you're going to play and what seed you're going to be at. I also thought, too, though, Mitch, the way that they were able to execute down the stretch was a big deal, and it's really important going forward. we got to take a quick break. We've got an EAS alert to to give you, and then we'll be back on the other side with more BYU versus Kansas talk and look ahead to today's matchup against TCU. Welcome back into Cougars Sports Saturday. We're breaking down the historic win, BYU versus Kansas. What stuck out to you the most, Mitch, about the win? Was it the three-point shooting? Was it the late-game execution? What, what, what was it for you? The defense in the second half. BYU's defense against Oklahoma State, against Kansas State on the road, was not good. BYU was plummeting in defensive metrics nationally. And in the second half against Kansas, I thought they got back to who they have been this season. You know, BYU up until about this past February, they were a good defensive team, a top 25 defensive team, even up to mid-February. But then the previous two weeks, they were just terrible, allowing 88 points to UCF, uh, career highs to K-State and Oklahoma State. But I thought they they really tightened up defensively against the, the Jayhawks, and I thought it was impressive. I mean, they were limiting... Kansas to one possession or one look at the basket uh, when they were on the defensive end. I mean, there was that one put back in the second half from K.J. Adams, but I thought that was another thing that stood out too was, you know, K.J. Adams was a mismatch uh, for BYU. He had nine points in the first half for Kansas, only two in the second half, and again, that was on a putback. So I just thought BYU did a really good job defensively, and they let those wins on the defensive end 
keep them in the game, and then ultimately the offense found its stride and and pulled away late in the game. Kansas held to 27.6% shooting in the second half. BOU out-rebounds them by one, and then the three-point shooting was significant in the second half for BYU. Seven of 15, they were plus 15 from the three-point line. Here's what the Kansas coach, Bill Self, an historic figure in college basketball, said about BYU in that second frame. After we got up 12, the second half, they controlled it, and we hoped to score, and they actually ran offense to score. You know, give them credit. They caused us to look bad, and, and they were successful. I like that point that he makes, Mitch, that, that BYU ran their offense. I thought it was really noteworthy because they've lost games in crunch time this year where the offense, there was no flow. You didn't know where the ball was going to end up. It didn't look like anyone wanted the ball, whereas in this one against Kansas, you had – Jackson Robinson making critical shots. I loved that pass from Foose under the basket, whips it into the corner. Noah Waterman buries a three. Dallin Hall breaking down Hunter Dickinson, step back three pointer. It felt like they knew what they wanted to do. They knew who they wanted to have the ball, and those guys made the plays. And I hope there's a lot of confidence gained from that going forward from Hall, from Robinson, from Waterman three of your best players on this team, that in late-game situations, they want the ball and they'll make the plays. And I thought, too, that you know BYU, they were in this game pretty much the whole way. Even in the first half, there were times where they were down by two and they had back-to-back possessions, but they just couldn't get over the hump and get that lead. But once they got the lead, it was, what was it, 66-63, and then... Hunter Dickinson buries a three, and you're thinking, oh, man, BYU can't get the ball with the lead, but they just kept battling. And I thought that was a a real testament to this team of how they've been a resilient group. And, you know, when everyone else has thought they were counted out and not going to be anything this year, they've always believed. And, you know, the road woes have been a real issue for this team. And to do it in that setting where it was loud, this was not some passive crowd where Kansas fans just thought, uh, this game doesn't mean anything. It's BYU. Who cares? It was an engaged group. And I thought the BYU fans near the upper deck in the general admission area kind of lit a fire for the Kansas fans because you would hear some chants of BYU, BYU, and Kansas fans did not like that. So it was a it was a great atmosphere. And for BYU to only have seven turnovers in that setting, yep. in, a, in, a, in a venue where it's tough to win. Like, think about it. Bill Self has been the head coach at Kansas since 2004. He's only lost 18 home games now. BYU handed him his 18th home loss. That's it. He's won 16 conference titles in the Big 12. He's only lost 18 times at home. It's unreal how how few and far between the losses are for Kansas. So just a historic win for BYU and so many great things that came together to get that win done. And it was nice to see the three-point shooting travel on the road. It's felt like for a long time that this team lives and dies by the three. They lived by the three, especially late against Kansas. And here's Bill Self again talking about, is this style that BOU plays, can that be sustained going into the conference tournament and into the NCAA tournament? Oh, no, no, no. It's great style. It's, it, it's you know, it, 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 it's NBA style. It won't be as good if you don't have guys that can shoot. You know, but as long as they keep recruiting guys that can shoot, and I don't know how many guys they'll lose. As long as they got this personnel, and, you know, even though, you know, he didn't play a lot tonight, uh, the big fella, but he's as good a passer as there is in America. And if, if I don't want to mispronounce the name, but Trey Orr, to me, was their most effective player, and he scored six points. 
because he created more confusion off of ball screens and, and dumping in. They scored some threes when we went to help on him and stuff like that. So uh, I think his style is great. I think it's very sustainable. High praise from Kansas head coach Bill Self on BYU and the great point about Foose Traore. Even Mark Pope has noted that that grade was one of the highest grades that Foose Traore has got from a game during his BYU career. He had that great pass that you can kind of see the the impact of Ali Khalifa has had on Foose's style of play where he's the ability to to pass out of the block now. I thought Foose had a really good game for BYU. And really everyone on the, on the whole box score for the Cougs had an impressive performance, even down to Trey Stewart. You know, remember Dallin Hall was in foul trouble for a large majority of this game. He was dealing with up to one point early in the second half, four fouls. But Trey Stewart comes in, gives seven minutes, didn't put up any shots, but also didn't have any turnovers, got a couple rebounds and an assist. But Trey Stewart gave valuable minutes to BYU. Everyone that played in this game chipped in and had a contribution, and it was a complete team win. And what's great too, Matt, is that this was not a, you know, when you think upset, you think, oh, they must have shot 65%. Right. You know, just off the charts, just a career night. And that wasn't the case. BYU didn't shoot the ball great, but it was still their style of play, the high volume of threes. It worked against a Kansas team that never puts up three-point attempts. I want to hear your thoughts on this, Mitch, and Cougar Nation as well. Text us 57500. Where does this win rank in the history of BOU basketball? But before we get to that, an EAS alert will keep you updated, but this is important stuff for you driving around. The National Weather Service has issued a severe thunderstorm warning for Weber, Utah, and Box Elder beginning right now and ending in about an hour from now. We'll keep you updated on all things weather here on KSL News Radio. So stay safe out there, and we'll keep you updated as the uh, National Weather Service has issued a severe thunderstorm warning. Back to hoops quickly, though, Mitch. Where does this win rank in your eyes as is it the best BOU basketball win of all time? Where do you stand on that? I think it's in the top three for for wins all time. You know, I, I if you factor in the postseason two, you probably go 1981 Notre Dame in the Sweet 16 advancing to the Elite Eight. That's probably number one. But if you look at regular season – this might be, you know, has a case to be the number one regular season win ever. Uh, I would maybe still lean San Diego State at San Diego State in 2011. I know Cougar fans often think of the game in Provo, and that was special because Jimmer Mania kicked into overdrive that night. But the win at San Diego that season was even more impressive because, one, it was on the road, but, two, that after that moment, BYU was the best team in college basketball that year. They were a consensus number one seed. They were going to be a Final Four team. They were going to win it all. Basically, it was the feeling around college basketball after that win, and then it all came crashing down, and Brandon Davies was suspended. <laughs> but in that moment, Cougar fans felt on top of the world. So, But what what makes this win special, Matt, is that you just – it's Kansas. You know, that, that jersey. And look, I bet Kansas fans would tell us this is the weakest Kansas team they've had in probably Bill Self's entire tenure, and it might be right because they don't have much depth – they were without Kevin McCuller, who is playing today against Baylor for the Jayhawks. Uh, but, you know, they were still – they still have Hunter Dickinson, an All-American, uh, Dewan Harris, Johnny Furphy, who might be a lottery pick. 
still a really good Kansas team, and BYU goes in and win. It, it's special. It's all, it's all time, and it's the best win in any sport in the Big 12 era so far this first season for BYU sports. I think it's the best win in the history of BYU basketball. The, really? The, yeah, the case that you made is is good and fair. They just didn't go on to do anything. They didn't go far enough. I, I mean, they went as far as they've ever been. But if that had led to a Final Four appearance, I'd feel like definitively that is the best win. So does this win have to be paired up with a Final Four run to be validated? Or cause, No. Cause my, fear this, my fear with this game, though, did BYU peak? You know, and, and, and that's look, fair. And I'm that's not to diminish the win. Like the, the win's incredible. But I, I hope that, you know, BYU can get some wins in March because let me tell you, if, if they get a five twelve game and they lose that twelve seed, you're still gonna kind of feel like, oh, that's kind of frustrating. I'd maybe swap out wins. I don't know. I just think there's only a few places in college basketball yeah. that are special. And True. that this is one of them. You're talking Chapel Hill. You're talking uh, Duke, Cameron Indoor, the Cameron Crazies, and Kansas. Like, is is that the top three? Am, am I forgetting any? I feel like that's that's the list. Of, I would have uh, said Pauley Pavilion years ago, but that's lost. It's that's lost. It's Rupp luster. Arena, yeah, Rupp's on, Rupp probably. There. Like, there's only a few of these places, and then you add in it's your first visit there as a conference member. That's never going to happen again. You add in you're this really good team that's been one of the surprises of college basketball. But yet you haven't had a breakthrough road win yet. Is this team for real? Can they even do it on the road or in a neutral site? And then you do it at Kansas. And yes, the point about Kansas is fair and good. This is not a great Kansas team. I think it's safe to say this Kansas team is not winning a national championship. But still, all of those things. And then also the way that they did it. They were trading blows late in that second half. Three-pointer here, three-pointer there, back and forth. And they find a way to get that win. I just I feel like it's one of the great wins in the history of, uh, of BOU basketball. To, to me, it's the best one, be, con- considering all those things. And Fog Allen Fieldhouse too. It's just it it's always going to be cool going there. But let's say this becomes a thing where BOU goes to Kansas every year. Is every trip to Fog Allen going to be special? I think at some point. It's going to become just a, another great conference game. This was the first ever visit as a Big 12 member. It's the best, like you just said it, this is the best Big 12 win in any sport. Yeah, And I think all of that, to me, elevates it to be the best win. It is a special win. And to come back from 12 points down in that atmosphere where it's loud and the noise, I swear, just reverberates and goes back down to the court. It was a loud venue. And BYU just fought back and... It was impressive, and you know I, I do think that it just gives BYU some, in the, for lack of a better term, street cred in the Big Twelve. A hundred percent, you know, and because they've been this team this year, that's well, cool. Ken Palm likes you, Evan Maya likes you, the Net likes you, but you're a fraud. You know, the <laughs> Seth Davises of the world saying that's nice that you're top ten in the Net, but I'm not picking you in March Madness because you're a fraud. Yeah, and you know this is the type of win where. Okay, you think we're not legit. You speak Kansas. When are you going to validate us now? And it, it's the ultimate validation that, hey, BYU's got to be taken serious. I mean, coming out of that post-game locker room or post-game press conference, uh, Kansas media, they were saying, my gosh, why can't BYU go to the Final Four? And part of me's like, 
getting you know, triggered by BYU's history in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> you, Slow down. Do I need to get Mark Duran in here to tell you about the woes in the NCAA tournament? Just just hold off on that. <laughs> but this team has got everything in front of them. And in, in a world where college basketball has no elite teams anymore. Like, I think we're this is going to be the trend in college hoops where there's no 31-0 and team. Like, no. when we were growing up, and even recent years, you'd have some team that just head and shoulders better than everyone else. But I think now in the NIL era and with these inflated conferences, everyone's going to have six, seven, eight, nine, even ten losses. And, you know, you're going to find a way to get in the NCAA tournament and go make a run and, and win some ballgames. BYU's in the thick of it. And they're in the national conversation in their first year in the Big 12 in the toughest league in America it's pretty awesome, and this win did a lot of good for BYU's brand. All right, news, traffic, and weather coming your way on the other side. I caught up with Spencer Johnson earlier in the week. We'll have that interview next. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete. Another touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're talking BYU hoops on Cougar Sports Saturday. We'll get to football. Spring football started up. We'll get to that momentarily, but. Had to spend a little bit of time here talking about an historic win against Kansas, and they are in a battle right now on the road against Baylor. Baylor leading it 56-48. to Would love to see Kansas come back and win this one, Mitch, so that it validates that win a little bit more. I mean, look, either way, I think BYU is a winner. They've beaten Baylor sure. and they've beaten Kansas, but for Kansas to stay in the top 10 potentially and get that win would be nice. When you bring that up, the way you stated about wins against Baylor and Kansas. If you would have been at, told, hey, this these four games, you're going to lose to K-State and Oklahoma State, but you're going to beat Baylor and Kansas. You said, oh, that's I great. Be like, I'd be like, what? <laughs> There's no way. What are you talking about? Right. They're going to beat Baylor and Kansas, but they're going to lose the, the Pokes and K-State? Hey, crazy times. And that's why tonight, big game against TCU, tip off at 7. Pre-game gets started at 6 here on KSL, and you caught up with one of the leaders of this BYU team, Spencer Johnson, and he's a new father, and life's going good for Spence. Spencer, I know we spoke a few weeks ago, but a lot's changed on the court and off the court for you. Maybe let's start with the off-the-court stuff. First, congratulations on having your your first child, a, a son. How was that experience? Were you guys at Provo Hospital, too? So we actually did it in American Fork Hospital. Um, took him back home to the roots for me. <laughs> But uh, it's it's been it's been incredible, man. Being a dad and and to seeing you know my wife go through that and interact with him, it's just it's the best thing ever. Yeah, having kids is it's a special experience. When did you decide to call Nate Austin and share that moment with the team? We heard that story from the other perspective, but tell us from your side of things. Yeah, so we um, she actually we went to the hospital at like 10 p.m. Um, she ended up going to labor at like two, so it was a long day, long night, and then uh, the next day or whenever he was born in the afternoon, and um, I was just holding him, and I texted a picture to Coach Pope of of just like me holding him, and then he immediately Facetimed me. So it was it was pretty cool. 
just to, uh, you know, besides my family, like I spend the most time with, you know, the guys on the team and the coaching staff. So, um, you know, we're all fairly involved in each other's lives. So it was cool to share that with them. Shortly after that, you head off on a two-game road trip to Kansas. Uh, the Kansas State game did not go according to plan, but then you go back out there and have one of the biggest wins in program history. Tell us about your experience in Lawrence at Fog Allen and, and just how memorable that was for you. It was, it was incredible. Um, I mean, you walk into that gym just for a shoot-around, right, before we even there were even people in there, and you could just feel like, the history that was that was staring down at you from the walls. I mean, so many jerseys, so many people that have played there, coaches. Like it was, it was really, really cool. So then to go to be able to go in there, and just like it was a packed house, sold out crowd, really, really incredible, really loud, and we just took it to a man. And it, I think you know we talked about it, where um, it felt like the NC State game a lot, where it was. You know, we were down pretty much the whole game and, and we were knocking on the door and we were right there and we felt it. We're like, hey, if we can get a lead, like we're not going to give it up and we're going to win this game. So, man, it was it was really special. What was the the halftime conversation like? Because you guys were right there. Jackson Robinson makes a big three to keep it reasonable, even though you didn't shoot the ball well. How were you guys feeling down? I think it was six at the half, but right in the game. It felt really, really good. I mean. You think about it, so um, they shot a lot more free throws than we did. Um, they, you know, I think we had a couple turnovers and they had a couple easy ones in transition, and then we were missing shots, and we were still only down six, and we're like, hey, we're on the road and we're down six right now. Like, we are not worried, and we're just going to stay together and we're going to keep fighting, and, man, we got nothing to lose. On the point of free throws, uh, Coach Pope in the second half gets a tee, I think, you know, him, you guys probably, the fans frustrated at the way the fouls were being called. And he tells a story in post game on how he gets the tee and he comes back and you guys are like, hey, no big deal. We're ready to go. Like, why do you think the team responded in that moment like that? Yeah, I think, we, I mean, we've just played together so long. You know, this is our second year and we had the whole summer last year and then the season and then the summer this year and then this season. So we've been through a lot together. Um, and one of the things we always talk about is like, hey, next play. Like, you're not focused about, you're not focused on what just happened, and you're not focused on what's going to happen, but we're right here in this moment. So, yeah, he got fired up and, and he got a T right there, but man, it was like, hey, next play. Like, we're still here, we're still in it, and, and uh, let's go. I'm genuinely curious on this. This isn't to, to nitpick the officials in the Big 12 or the WCC, but has there been a, a big difference in the way it's been officiated in this league, or is it similar to the WCC? Like, you're a player. What, what's that been like going from that league to this league and, and adjusting to that? Yeah, I, I mean, the Big 12 is more physical for sure. Um, the WCC is, I feel like, is a really, you know, it can get physical, but more so I would say it's a finesse game, a lot of shooters, a lot of, you know, scores and things. Not to say the Big 12 isn't like that, but it's, it's just really physical and they officiate it differently. Um, but again, depending on the night, you never really know. So uh, I'd say in general, it's probably more physical. How do you guys turn the page from such a historic win? It feels a little bit, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the Baylor win and then a letdown against Kansas State. Has that been discussed? How do you guys remain focused on the task at hand of just a few regular season games left? 
Yeah, I mean, it is. We uh, we got a really big win, and we still got some big games left to play, like to close out this season. So, you know, I, I think we took that night um, when we were at Kansas. We flew back. You know, the Rock was waiting for us at the airport, which is really cool. So we took that night to enjoy it. And then we came in yesterday, and we had a really good film session. And we're like, hey, that was a great win. Like, let's, you know, enjoy it and soak it all up when the season's over. Like, we have another job to do on Saturday. And TCU's a really good team. So, uh, I don't know. We're focused. We're ready. How do you get any sleep on a night like that? Was, was that the first time The Rock was at the airport for you guys that, since you've been playing here? No. So, uh, that was the second time for me. The first time was when we beat Oregon um, in the, in the uh, Trailblazers arena. So, uh, but man, that was special. They, they showed out for us. Last thing for you. Um, you have a lot left to play for, so you made me haven't even thought about this, but I think about how long you've been here and your career path and, you know, you spent some time at Slick. You're here in the WCC. Now you're a key part of a team that is going to the NCAA tournament. That's a fact after the win against Kansas. Still more to play for, obviously, but have you taken a moment at all this season and just reflect on the journey and, and how your career is crescendoed to this beautiful moment in uh, Big 12 play on a team that a lot of people think can do some noise in the tournament? Yeah, I mean, um, my, my wife and I are actually talking about this the other day that it's just been incredible, man. We've been super blessed to uh, be here at BYU, um, to just play for this university. You know, you, you think about um, my path, like you said, I've been to a couple of different schools and um, there's been some unsurety of just like, is this dream that I have actually gonna work? Um, so it's just been such an incredible blessing. And you think about the little moments, like um, for me, you know, scoring the first points in the Big 12, um, getting a shout out from the Prophet, you know, in general conference. Um, you know, it's just this last year, a special win at Kansas and just the, the special year that we're having as a team is just like, it's been, it's been incredible. Really, really blessed. And lucky for you, it's not over yet. A lot more to go and uh, stay healthy. And we're looking forward to watching you guys finish out the season and head into the tournaments. Yeah, there's a lot more to go and uh, we're excited to keep it rolling. Spencer Johnson, there you go. And uh, some of that interview was missed because of that EAS alert. So stay safe out there. We'll put the full interview up on the podcast feed. Another reason to subscribe if you haven't already. Cougar Sports Saturday podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. We'll take a break here, and we'll keep talking some hoops on the other side, and then we'll turn the page momentarily to BYU football a little later on here in Cougar Sports Saturday. Welcome back in, Cougar Sports Saturday. We'll get to football in just a moment. Last thing I think is worth discussing around this BYU-Kansas win, Mitch, and we also, later in the show, we'll get to tonight's game because – there's a lot to play for still for this BYU team. Just because you beat Kansas, and that's probably good enough to get you into the tournament. You got three games left, two of them at home. If you win, if you just win your home games, Mitch, you have a a ten win conference s- slate. And is that a good enough for a five seed? Is that good enough for Salt Lake City? Like. There's still a lot to play for, and the carrot at the end of the stick being the Delta Center is very interesting. That would be a huge home court advantage for BYU. 
I know that you're a big, uh, you're a big bracketology guy. You <laughs> oh, read yes. all the brackets, all of them. Where is BYU sitting currently? What's the consensus on where BYU is uh, sitting currently in bracketology? After the win over Kansas, the theme is five seed, and not only a five seed, but in Salt Lake City by the major bracketologist. And man, there was one bracket; it was so. So sweet. Was it, it was Palm, it was, Jerry Palm. Well, it was blogging the bracket, who does okay. a really good job, part of SB Nation. He had BYU as a five seed in Salt Lake City. The four seed was Kentucky. Can you imagine if John Calipari got placed in a quadrant with BYU and it was 45, 45 miles north of Provo? John Calipari would go off the rails, And then man. the Pope Kentucky... Storyline, unbelievable! Like hook that up, man. You get BYU against a blue blood in the Delta Center. Cougar fans are packing the house. Oh yeah, it would be insane. BYU's won eighteen of their last nineteen games in the Delta Center. The only loss was last season, South Dakota loss. Which how oh. world how crazy is that world where in that moment, you know, just Could you about, have thought less than two years later. That's what I'm saying. Fourteen months ago. You just lost to the the Coyotes. <laughs> but, hey, stay patient. You're going to beat Kansas. Wait, what? Yeah, that, that's what happened. It's been a wild turn of events for BYU basketball. But, yeah, five seed. And, you know, Salt Lake, I think the other city that's been kind of a theme is Charlotte. Where does Jerry Palm have him? Because he's had him low <laughs> all year. Six seed in Salt Lake City. Which I got to prefer the sixth spot personally really? speaking the what's the thought behind that just that the 512 is just has this lore there's like this baked in 12 seed magic and, <laughs> and i feel like and look i'm not that superstitious but i do feel like because remember there's human beings building the bracket yes even though you've got the net that's a completely metric based ranking system to help these people slot people in just a tool though just a tool i do believe though when Guys are picking 5 and 12. They are specifically finding under-the-radar teams that can fit that narrative and make a splash in the 5 to 12 game. I, there's just no there's no narrative to 6-11. It's just you're just slotting teams at that point. 5 to 12, though, for me, I feel like there's this added incentive by the committee to get sexy matchups that can lead to big upsets. Yeah, I I... I, I guess my fear with the NCAA tournament is that how will the committee, you know, try to put BYU against some blue blood in round one? Remember uh, the last time BYU was in the NCAA tournament? UCLA. Well, not only that, it was, okay, you're getting rewarded with a six seed BYU. Congrats. You know, pat on the head. But you will face the winner of Michigan State or UCLA. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I remember making the grave mistake of saying, I'm pulling for UCLA. That's not a good team. They've only got Jaime Hawkes, Johnny Juzang. NBA, NBA. Uh, team goes that didn't work out run. well. <laughs> I'm in Hinkle Fieldhouse in Indianapolis seeing Jaime Hawkes just wreck BYU. I'm thinking, this cat's destroying BYU. Should have known. He's now a legit NBA rookie. But, you know, I, that that's the thing about the NCAA tournament. BYU is so unique in how they get placed. I was on a sports radio station uh, in Ames, Iowa, which, quick note, BYU-Iowa State next Wednesday got a tip time change. going to be 7 o'clock now, mountain time. Pre-game will start at 6 here on KSL. 
That's a wow. weird a Wednesday game. Too. Yeah, it's it's a Break, Wednesday night game. The mold. Uh, but they were floored by how I revealed to them that half the bracket is not available to BYU. They forgot the whole no Sunday play. We know that, of course, but you know BYU is just such a tricky team to place. And I'm fascinated to see how the committee works BYU in the field and also tries to avoid you know, second round or Sweet 16 possible matchups against Big 12 teams, there's going to be nine or ten Big 12 teams in the field. At least nine. And, you know, how do you – so does BYU benefit? Do they move up a seed line because of that to avoid a potential rematch spot? Or does it move them lower? Uh, there's kind of these weird nuances with, with BYU that uh, make them tricky to slot. But at the same time, it could benefit them to where – they end up in Salt Lake where they're the lower-seeded team in a quadrant where the four-seed or the three-seed has to maybe stare down BYU and face a road game against the Cougars. I don't hate a six-seed in Salt Lake. I, I, wouldn't you rather be a six-seed in Salt Lake than a five-seed anywhere else? I just want BYU to be able to play a mid-major in the opening round. And that's – like, if they get Grand Canyon, that's a – Grand Canyon's good. They've only lost three games. Yeah. You know, you're going to face someone good no matter what. But I always just get a little bit more worried when BYU's facing a power conference team. And look, BYU, the great thing about the NCAA tournament, it might be a little bit of a breather because it might be nice to step out of league and not have to deal with the gauntlet of the Big 12. But what if it was a W? What if it's St. Mary's? As long as as long as BYU is facing a double-digit seeded team, that's all I want because the last time BYU beat a single-digit seeded team in the NCAA tournament, you got to go back. Man, it was, I believe, 1993 when they beat SMU. I think SMU was a 7, BYU was the 10. It's been a long time. So as long as BYU's facing a double-digit seeded team, I like BYU's odds of advancing. That, that's all I want to see. And whether it's 5, Are you sure you want or, a mid-major? There's been some mid-majors recently that have just... I, I just think personnel-wise, BYU... St. Peter's, you want to play them? I just I think that you don't want to face a, a, a team with a lot of size. I still think that could be a, a, a potential opportunity to to hurt BYU and a team that's got a lot of speed. Look, I'm going to some cliches with some of these mid-majors. I'm not going to say I know every all the ins and outs about McNeese State and, and Grand Canyon, but uh, I just feel like personnel-wise, BYU just kind of getting off the bus, they're going to match up quite well with some of those teams. They're not going to be – It's you know, I just always think back to, you know, when you see UCLA and you see them in person in Indianapolis, you go – this don't look like an 18-win team. And then you, you see Texas A&M, you see Xavier. People just face so many good teams in the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's why there's, you know, 68 teams going for the, the national championship. But it just seems like the, the, the caliber of teams. Like, think back to that year when they put, they being the committee, put BYU in the wrong region. Remember, it was 2003 when yep. they got placed in a Friday-Sunday regional. If they got to the Sweet 16, they would have had to switch brackets they got paired up with UConn right. in a 5-12 with Ben Gordon, Emeka Oakford. Like, BYU always just gets tough matchups, and I'm just I'm bracing myself for, all right, let's go out to the West Regional in Salt Lake City, 6-seed BYU against 11-seed Gonzaga. Yeah. Like, that's, I just, that's what it's going to be. Well, you got your mid-major, Mitch. Not them. <laughs> it. That's very realistic, too, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I am bracing for that. I I, I could just see it. Yep. I, I, I just could see that happening.
All right, let's take a break. News, traffic, and weather coming your way. We'll turn the page to football. Me and Mitch, we were down in Provo for day one of spring ball that took place in February. (laughs) We'll break it down on the other side. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete and another touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hour number two is off and running here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Hope all of you are having a Fantastic Saturday afternoon, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, whether it's on 102.7 FM, 1160 AM, the KSL News Radio app, KSL Sports app, or on podcast. We appreciate you tuning in every single Saturday to get your three-hour check-in on BYU Sports. We're watching Baylor and Kansas right now, under a minute to go in Waco. Baylor up 77-71 to 71 on the Kansas Jayhawks. We'll keep tabs on that and see how that game finishes uh, out as Jacoby Walter knocks down a free throw, 78-71. Now, BYU football, Matt, we BYU basketball, it's weird that they've kind of absorbed all the Oxygen. airspace. Yeah. And just, it, everyone's talking BYU hoops, but BYU football, that little program, Cougar football, uh, they kicked off spring practice this week and – Eventful times for the Cougars and so many questions for this BYU football team on the heels of a 5-7 and seven campaign a year ago. None more uh, important and interesting than the quarterback battle. Here was the update from Kalani Satake on the two guys vying to be the starter, Gary Bohannon and Jake Retzlaff. I thought they made a lot of really big-time plays today, made, made some really excellent throws, some great decisions, and took care of the football. So that, that stuff matters the most, and they have a lot of experience. I know that... Uh, Gary's been through that before. He's 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 won at a high level, and and Jake had some experience last year, but it's also had tons of tons of football in his in his time at JC. So I, I think we're right now that that's kind of where we're going with those two guys. And I thought they did really nicely today. I thought the other quarterbacks performed well too. So we have a, a crowded room, but there's a lot of talent there. They had some moments from what we saw in the media observation period. I loved that pass from Gary Bohannon. It's a, a corner route concept to Reiner Swanson. Uh, and Jake Retzloff had some nice balls as well. He had one over the middle to Keanu Hill on one of his, you know, classic arm angle sidearm throws to Keanu Hill. So they both had moments, but I don't feel like anyone was head and shoulders better than the other. And I, and I, I do believe that we're in for a long battle, Mitch. You got a little bit of good, I think a little bit of bad from both quarterbacks, and that's what it's going to be. And this quarterback unit, Two guys are vying for the job. They've got 10 guys total, but it's Gary Bohannon and Jake Retzlaff taking and splitting the first team reps, and those are the two guys that are going to be vying for the job, which to me, Matt, a little bit surprising that Agreed. you don't just give – and I understand every rep is precious, and I think you, some people on the outside would say it's just spring ball, like whatever. Like every every snap matters. You're, you're you're working towards getting better, and it's even more critical for this BYU team to find an identity and find its footing in this new 16 team Big 12 conference. But I I think you should have given a chance to maybe Trayson Borgay, Kate Finnegan, 
Ryder Burton say, you got a chance to win the number one job too. I, I just, I guess my thought with that too is that Gary Bohannon and Jake Retzlaff to me don't command enough uh, of a presence to say, yeah, these are the top two guys. Now, Aaron Rodgers. And Rogers, one of those has, that was the first time we'd ever seen him wear a BOU helmet and he's coming off a year in which he didn't play. Yeah. Aaron Roderick's seen these guys and dealing with, you know, and he's he believes in Jake Retzlaff, and I think he believes in Gary Bohannon too. Uh, but it, it's just a very unique quarterback battle where there's not this one guy that you say, that's the future. You know, it, it's just kind of this, You're, I think everyone's kind of hoping for the best. And ideally, Matt, I think that in the best case scenario for BYU long term and for the future – you want to see Jake Retzlaff emerge, yep. and I think you want to see Trayson Borgay or Ryder Burton or whoever show signs that they can be a guy that can, can contribute in games. Gary Bohannon can be good. He can. Now, how good? I don't know. It might be a case of he is who he is, but he can contribute in games. So you got you know, one guy that you feel like can, you can turn to in a game. You want Retzlaff to be a consistent starter player that that you feel like you can get to a bowl game with, and then you got a third guy that you feel really good about his development, and he's really moved up the chain, and if called upon, he could be turned to, and you feel like you can still maybe squeak out a victory. But uh, that that is going to be the real big question for this team, and I don't think any Cougar fan listening right now is going to believe any of it until the fall, and rightfully so. I don't think they want to let their guard down and, you know, kind of get bought in. And look, I, I think that I'm looking at it from a very critical thought too, because I'll admit, you know, I kind of bought into Keaton Slovis after spring. It didn't transpire. It didn't carry over to the fall. And I think with this quarterback unit, we're ultimately going to learn about, you know, how good these guys are when it's a game. And I think someone like Jake Retzlaff, honestly, might look better in a game setting than a practice with his style of play. But uh, you know, it, it's an interesting battle nonetheless, and it's going to be one we're going to be focusing on every step of the way in spring. I will say this. W- one thing I do like about this two-man battle is whoever the loser is, I love that guy as the backup. Yeah. Who, because last year, there was nowhere to go. Like, you did not want to play Jake Retzlaff last year. You had to out of circumstance, but there wasn't a great option. Like, you had a JC guy with no – Division one experience as your backup, and that did not translate well. There were there were highs and there were lows for Jake. If if Jake wins the job, and I'm with you 100, it it is the best thing for BOU football for Jake to win, because then you get him this year, you get him next year, and hopefully you bring in a dude. Maybe he's already here. Maybe it's Ryder Burton. If it's not, you go get a guy and you get him ready for that for two years down the road, and if, if that's how plays out, I love Gary Bohannon as a backup. You could put him in in a pinch, whether it's injury or poor performance, and you'd feel good that he could get the job done. Uh, Maybe not to the tune of a 10-win season as a full-time starter, but he could get you some wins. And so that's the thing I like about it. The other thing, too, is last year, I I still am not convinced that Keaton Slovis – was the problem offensively. I still feel like he was in a, a really hard situation with no run game, an offensive line that was that had played so poorly uh, in comparison to the talent. You got Kingsley Suamataia at the NFL Combine, and I don't know if he had a great year. And I just feel like if it's Jake or if it's Gary, if there's not improvement with the O-line and the running game, yep. it's not going to matter because 
this league is too good. It's too deep, especially with the addition of the four corner schools out of the Pac-12. Like, you can't be bottom of the barrel running the football and expect your quarterback to have success. And I think Keaton was uh, whatever the opposite of Bennett. You know, it hurt him that there was no running game because his style of play was play action, and that wasn't that was never available because they they didn't have that other part of the game, and so it's and it's going to be hard to evaluate in that spring, Mitch. Like there, there's so many questions that will not be answered until we watch that game at the end of August. Right now, at this point of the off season and, and spring ball, they've wrapped up the first two days, heading into day three on Monday. I feel way too early, way more confident with Jake Ratzlaff getting BYU to a bowl game than I would Gary Bohannon. And maybe that's just a case of I've seen more of Jake. But, you know, I watched a lot of Gary Bohannon in that Baylor season in 2021 because that was an opponent that BYU had and scouting and studying these Big 12 teams, getting ready for the transition to the league. I was keeping a close eye on Bohannon and also in 2022 as well with another common opponent at South Florida. I just feel like Ratzlaff might have another level, another gear to his game that could be unlocked. And I think that, you know, Roderick, you know, was very excited about getting him uh, when they added him in the January of 2023. It was, it was a pretty big deal to where there was a feeling maybe he could, you know, he's not going to unseat Keaton Slovis, but it was like, hey, this he's going to develop to be the number two guy and they're going to feel very good about it. So uh, it's just that when you have a season where you go five and seven and you have, no identity offensively, and you're pretty much bottom of the barrel in the stats. You kind of almost want this quick fix there, where it's like a guy that's got. Uh, you, you want this. You want a lot of star power, proven commodity at that uh, position the, this year, and they just don't have that. It's so it's got to be development. And you know, Jake Retzlaff did say he was working with John Beck in the off season to get ready for this quarterback battle. I live in Corona, which is 30 minutes away from Huntington Beach, so I'm out there with John Beck, you know, as much as I could when I was gone for the break. And, uh, you know, working with him is such a – so fortunate that I'm able to do that, to live down the road, to be able to do that. I mean, he works out of my first junior college. That, that field that I played on, that's where we work out every day. And so it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to work with a guy like that. The experience he has, he's taught me so much in the short time that, you know, we've been working together, and he's just helping me improve in every single facet. I mean, it's, it's a prerequisite now to work with John Beck to be the POU starting quarterback. but And I like that, too, because not only are you working with Beck and you're rubbing shoulders with him who's worked with so many other guys, how often do you come in contact with NFL guys? Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. Yeah. It, he's no longer training to be a quarterback, but back in Zach's days, Drew Brees, right? So you're rubbing shoulders with all those kind of guys. I love to hear that just because it – Gives you a little peek into the window of the seriousness yes. of someone. Because, look, college football is serious. It's not – this isn't 1990 anymore where you can be an athlete and be a student and that's it. And you walk around, it's no big deal. Like and, you, and you show up to fall camp and you basically work your way into shape. Right. Like, no, you better hit the ground running uh, in, in week one of spring ball. And I thought Retzlaff, to his credit, he's very excited. You know, and I think – to have some excitement, that means just body language. And, look, the actions speak louder than words. But, you know, it sounds like a guy that was, you know, excited to, uh, you know, because he's put in a lot of work. When, you, when you've when prepared, when you're ready, you're kind of like it's a sleepless night. You're just so excited to get back out there and show how you've improved. And I thought that was something noteworthy is that excitement from Jake was 
you know, showing itself in, in that uh, practice on day one. Is it unfair to say the, the biggest and best takeaway from the little bit we saw on day one was freshman tight end Reiner Swanson? He was impressive. Four-star out of California. He's only 17, too. And when you when you realize that and what he was doing out there. He was there, running with the ones at times. He was outstanding. And there is a clear opening at tight end. With Isaac Rex gone and with Ethan Erickson banged up, who knows how long in spring or what whatnot, there is a clear opportunity for someone like Reiner Swanson to emerge. And with a new tight ends coach, it's Kevin Gilbride, slate. why not? And if he's the guy and he's ready, go ahead. Like I don't think this coaching staff is attached or tethered to anyone outside of maybe – L.J. Martin, Connor Payne, Ben Bywater, Braden Kime. Yeah, that's about it. And Jacob Robinson. Yep. Everyone else, it's up for grabs, man. You got to go earn it. Like no one on this roster, and that's kind of one of the fun things I like about this spring, is that there should just be tons of competition. Everyone's got to be fighting for their snaps because the transfer portal's there, and I know this coaching staff feels pretty good about where the the roster's at, and they feel like this could be pretty close to the final product. But you always, you always have to think that, that there could be player movement. And uh, so everyone's got to compete. Go earn your spot to be on that first line when you have ultimately take on Southern Illinois in August. Here's what Jake Retzlaff said about that tight end group. Putting Keanu at tight end is awesome for us. You know, he can do a lot of things, and uh, he's also a big physical receiver when he was there, so now he can be that as a tight end. And Reiner, Reiner had a great day today, in my opinion, and um, he's shown some great athleticism and great way to move, and looking forward to see what that guy has in store. Yeah, he really did. Let's take a break. On the other side, we caught up with Chase Roberts, one of the great BYU receivers. We'll play that interview next. We're talking BYU football. Spring ball began on Leap Day, 229-2024. Took advantage of a sale item at Taco Bell on that day, so that was nice. And it was nice to be watching a little football. What is the strength of the offense, in your, in your opinion? Is it the wide receiver room? You think so? It's the wide receivers. It's the wide receivers. And because they bring back all the returning production, experienced guys, they've been around Aaron Roderick, they've been around Fessy Satake, that's got to be the group that's the strongest right now. I had a chance to catch up with one of those guys, Chase Roberts, after practice. Here's what Chase had to say about getting back after it for day one of spring ball. I cannot believe football is back already. This, you know, starting in February, it's kind of weird. Is it, does it feel like the season just ended, or does it feel like it's been a long winter conditioning to get to this point? No, I mean it never ends. Like re- once the season ends, we're back at it, training, doing stuff. Um, football is football's life. You know, it's it's every day. So uh, it's fun to be back at it, though. What was your your, like you said, it's 365 sports, so it's hard to say there's an off season, but. What was your period of time like between now and when the season ended? I did try to obviously take some time off, let my body rest, and um, enjoy time with my family. Um, spent a lot of time with them. Um, no skiing, nothing crazy like that. But really, really relaxed and was able to eat some good food and, and do a little bit of traveling. So it was it was a nice off season. What's been the focus? I'm sure there's several focuses for you, but what are you trying to accomplish here in spring football before we get into summer? Uh, I think the biggest thing is the the belief in, in this system and what we're doing as as an offense, uh, as a defense. I feel like with uh, a couple, I guess we got Jake returning and then a couple other new quarterbacks that came in, 
Um, it's it's the fires there. You can tell from the first practice that it's a battle. Um, we got some new guys, some transfers, some um, some young kids that are just battling, and it's been fun uh, just to see that even the first day. And I can't wait to to see it grow in, in that competition. Although there are new guys, like you said, it does feel like there's more continuity this offseason than last offseason. Last offseason just felt like, man, half the roster turned over. Yeah, and there was true. a lot of new uh, not a new players. Do you feel like the, the continuity is, is yeah. noticeable and a good thing for this team? I, especially in the receiver room, yes. Uh, we have a lot of vets that are ready to, to go this year. Um, you know, it's, it's our second year kind of together as, as a starting group. Um, so we're, we're moving on to more of the advanced stuff. Um, and I feel like that's that's huge for a wide receiver group, for an offense, and for us as a team. So I do, there, do feel there is more continuity, and and um, that's definitely a benefit. Just having Jake back, is, is that also a benefit in terms of you guys had a lot of game reps with him, and does that just carry over into spring spring ball this year? For sure, yeah. Right after the season, I mean, we, we got together, and um, we were able to to look back and see what we needed to do, see what we needed to change, and what we, we can do going forward. Speaking of looking back, I'm sure you guys have talked about all this stuff, but what did you like about what you guys did at the end of last year and, and what needs to be improved in spring football from, from last year? I think we showed a toughness and a resilience. You know, We had a little stretch there where we were getting beat by a lot of points, and we could have laid down and, and let our season end there, but we came back and played two really good teams and were able to compete against... Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and it just shows that, that we belong and that we're, we're, we fight. And I think uh, a couple plays and, and we win those games and um, a couple plays you know, throughout the season, you know, we would have had a totally different season. But um, I think going forward, just, yeah, looking back and, and fixing those things and, and showing that we'll continue to be that resilient team. There's a lot of eyes on the on the quarterback battle, but yeah. if take a further step out, just the offense as a whole, what, what do you think this group needs to accomplish in spring football? I think that we need to put together uh, that chemistry, I guess, with, with the quarterback and receivers um, and have that confidence as an O-line that we can, we can run the ball. Uh, and then I think that'll open up you know, our, our play action. Um, but overall, I think just putting together the, that confidence in each group, uh, the offensive line, tight ends, receiver core, like quarterbacks. And um, I think this year, I mean, just from day one, you can see a, like a, a greater confidence in the O-line, in each group. Um, and in, when we put that all together, it's going to be lethal. Have there been any themes or objectives, and it could be chemistry, we've already noted it, for, uh -huh. from Coach Satake on just the wide receiver group as a whole on this is what we want to accomplish here in spring football? I think the biggest thing that he is emphasizing is taking that next step, taking that next, taking it to the next level to where we can know all the positions, be able to put anywhere, anyone anywhere. And um, I think a big thing, too, is, is being a, a threat in the blocking game, being tough, big. Uh, and being able to, to be great blockers. Now that's in the rearview mirror. The first season of the Big 12 is behind us, which is kind of crazy to think. It would, yeah. it was, we were looking forward to that for so long, and it came and went. Yeah. What, what were some things you learned about Big 12 play that, that you did not know before the last year? Yeah, it's different. You know, from, I, I was able to play you know, independent my first year here, and when you're in the Big 12, it's game after game. There's just dogs, just studs, and it's, there's no break. And I think... It's great to have that, you know, experience and know that 
we've we haven't faced anything that you know we haven't seen yet so going into next year it's like all right we've played it in the biggest stages against the biggest teams against the top prospects and i think the the confidence going into next year will be like we've done this before we've competed we've scored lots of points against these teams and um, it creates that confidence how much motivation is there from the way that last season ended you know i, I yeah. think it's still a lot of us remember that oklahoma state game and you guys were right there and just it did not go your way at the end yeah. how much motivation is carried over from a player's perspective on driving winter conditioning and spring football knowing that you were that close to a bowl game last year no i think that was huge and i know that that god has a plan for our team and i think not making a bowl, bowl game was part of that plan you know it really was a punch to the face and it led into spring ball or the the winter conditioning to like let's go like let's kick let's kick it up a notch and and then it's led into spring ball as well and i feel like we're a new team whether it's if we did make a bowl game and kind of won a bowl game whatever it would leave a you know we're chilling you know so i think it's it's been great two more things for chase roberts here wide receiver byu it was kind of funny to watch earlier in winter conditioning when you guys were playing dodgeball. What, what's what's winter conditioning been like, and how's it been different this year? Um, we've we've been having a lot of fun, and I think the fun comes from the the work working hard and the discipline that we were able to um, kind of gain this year. I feel like last year we had a little lack of you know, leadership, discipline. This year we've been um, on top of it, and it's been keeping each other accountable. has been a, has been a huge aspect and, and then when we do work hard and, and finish those workouts um, coach rewards us in, in playing dodgeball and in going out to dinner and doing stuff like that so there's a there's a price you have to pay in order to to have fun I think it showed um, you know when we were having so much fun because we knew we worked hard and we put everything into the workouts this offseason last thing for you you might be too young for this but when I was a teenager uh the college football video game was all the rage. Yeah. And now that it feels like we're months away from this thing coming out, yeah. what's your perspective on being in the game? Yeah. Like, to give me a player's perspective behind that, because this is, this is a first. No one's ever actually been in the game. I mean, the likeness was there, but yeah. it's going to be Chase Roberts in a college football video game. No, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. I, I wasn't a huge video game player growing up, but just the seeing – being able to see, like, I'm going to start being a video game player now, you know, being able to play um, as myself, as some of my teammates. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to start playing Madden 25 for sure. I'm excited. All right, there's Chase Roberts, and uh, stay healthy this spring. We're looking forward to another fun year of football. Thank you. Appreciate it. Taking the break, news, traffic, and weather coming your way. Back with more BOU football on the other side. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in Cougars Sports Saturday. We're having a great time talking BYU hoops, BYU basketball, watching a little NFL combine as well. Right now, though, Mitch, since it's a live Cougar Sports Saturday show, it's that time of the day, a time that we love so dearly. 
Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5. Sponsored by Economics Partners. Mitch and Matt clash in a weekly battle of BYU sports knowledge. Here's the Top 5. Oh yes, Top 5 is back after a two-week hiatus due to matinee BYU basketball games. We're back in the saddle for another edition of the Top 5, which brings we bring which means we bring in our producer Nate Slack who's in studio with us now. You can follow him on X, Nate Slack 5. Nate, how are you doing on this dreary, rain-filled Saturday afternoon? I can't believe how dark it is outside. It's, it is very... Uh, it felt apocalyptic driving in. Yeah, I like it. The I, wind. I like to go to the... Uh, is it 6 North? You go past? Yes. Down, okay. Yep. That's how I like to get here to Broadcast House. Me too. And then I'm pulling up, and it's like you could barely see the state capitol <laughs> on the hill. It's so, like, muggy and nasty. I'm like, I feel like I'm playing The Last of Us or some <laughs> some uh, apocalyptic game. But we got a good top five for you guys today. BYU has 10 quarterbacks listed on the spring roster. And for today's top five, in order, you guys have to list the five quarterbacks to if they're on the most recent touchdown pass in a game. Wow. Very interesting. So it's kind of tough because some of these guys have gone on missions, and some of them are transfer quarterbacks. So in order, you guys from one to five have to share the last five or the five quarterbacks who have thrown the most recent touchdown pass. So number one would be the most recent. Yeah. Yep. And out of this group. Out of this group, yeah. So out of the ten quarterbacks, the five quarterbacks who have thrown the most recent touchdown passes. Okay. One to so you got to say I think this is number whatever. And the name. Yeah, you don't have to say the opponent or the date or anything like that. Just say the the number, one through five, and the name of the quarterback. Okay. Who's up first? Uh, that's a good question. Let me let me double check. This is going to be Mitch going up first. So Mitch is also leading twenty to seventeen, twenty one to sixteen. Okay. So he won last week, so Mitch getting the start. Let's go with Jake Ratzlaff, number one. Yep, number one. So that was on November 18th, 2023 against Oklahoma. No touchdown passes for him against Oklahoma State. Did put BYU in a position to make a comeback in that Oklahoma State game where they had that drive to be in position to go win but uh, and, and ultimately got the field goal. But, uh, yeah, Jake Retzlaff, he had some moments down the stretch there, and I think far too often we think about the – the negative plays, the the interceptions, the the turnovers, but you know he he did have some plays, uh, including some three touchdown passes last season for BYU. If you take out the horrific interception, <laughs> I was going to say the same thing against Oklahoma, and I would also say also take out the poor decision interception that completely changed the tone of the Iowa State game. Yeah, you take. Both of those away, and those those weren't like great plays made by the defenders. Those were just boneheaded quarterback decisions. You take those two away, do you feel totally differently about this quarterback? Definitely. Room? I mean, because if he doesn't have that mistake against Oklahoma, you got a quarterback that took down a nationally ranked Oklahoma team when you were an underdog. And uh, but those decisions, every snap matters. You can't discredit it and throw it out and say, well, in, in these 30 snaps, no, that's that's not how this works. That was a costly mistake that cost BYU a football game. And I know it's not just one play that loses games, but that was a big one. And that's one that will probably never be forgotten because you're never going to face Oklahoma again in Provo. And so to to have that mistake, it was it was a big mistake because he had many chances to plant his flag and say, 
I am your leader. Get on my back. I am the number one quarterback going forward. And he just couldn't seize that opportunity. Well, now he's got the chance in spring football. Number two, Trace and Borgay. Ouch. Hmm. Mitch can take a commanding lead here. Let's go with Gary Bohannon, October 2022. What number on the list? Uh, Two. (laughs) Uh, Gary Bohannon, number three. (laughs) All right. Let's go with Ryder Burton, number two. Jeez. Wow. Let's go with, uh, <laughs> let's go with Cade Finnegan, number five. He's the first guy you guys have said who is not in the top five. Okay. So there's, there's a hint. Let's go with Trayson Borgay, three. Oh. Nice. September 30th, 2023, so last season against Ball State. Hmm. Threw a touchdown pass. You know, Borgay is interesting to me because he's a preferred walk-on, but he's got starter experience. He started in more games than Jake Redslaff. Started eight games, I believe, in his two years at Western Michigan. It's interesting. I mean, you don't want to have to turn to him. If you truly believe Gary Bohannon and Jake Redslaff are your top two, you hope at most... Those are the only two quarterbacks starting games. But we've seen in years where BYU has to go third, fourth string in some seasons. And so he's got to be ready. And I I think, you know, if he's the one that's kind of contending for that third string, I could see him emerging as that, that third string guy and fitting that he's number three on this list. Just a quick recap. So we have number one, Jake Retzlaff. Number three, Trayson Borgay. And no Cade Finnegan on this list. All right. Who's up now? Where are we at? I think it's back to Mitch. Let's go with Gary Bohannon four. Gary Bohannon five. There we go. Process of elimination. (laughs) I like it. October 15th, 2022 versus Tulane. So it's been a little while, but he also hasn't played in 18 months. Dang. It's going to be super interesting to see this quarterback battle in terms of like there's he has to kill it I feel like to be the starter right I just feel like there's so much trending towards Jake Retzlaff he would have to set the world on fire to be the starting quarterback I don't think it'd be a a monumental upset because I just think that Aaron Roderick likes him a lot and but I, I do think that Retzlaff is the favorite. and But I, I think the fact that they're on equal footing right now, that's kind of an indication of they, they like him and yep. they want to give him every chance to to potentially succeed. All right, where are we at? Matt's got a chance to have equal footing, so it's back to Matt. Ryder Burt, number four. Nice. Ryder Burt, number four, October 28th, 2022, versus Alta. I think that was in the state championship, but yeah. Ryder, uh, number four. Okay. Back to Mitch. Noah Lugo, number two. Ah, That's it. November 3rd, 2023 versus Byron Nelson. But, yeah, Noah Lugo, number two. Lugo is not in the mix to be in this top three quarterback conversation this year. He's, a, he's an athlete. Uh, great hurdler, track and field. 
as he said in an interview with me last fall, he acknowledged he's got to improve as a passer. And if he can't, if that's your trait right now, at least he's owning up to where he's got to improve. He's a project right now. And, you know, he was originally committed to UTSA, flipped his commitment in the summertime when BYU's options at quarterback were evaporating quick on the recruiting trail. Like when they got him last July, they had missed out on a handful of quarterback prospects. And it's not to say that he was plan Z, but, you know, he was kind of deep on their board of quarterbacks. And then they offered him and he flipped from UTSA to BYU and so they're going to have to develop him and see what he can become. But a good athlete, and he played at a high level of football, too, in the Fort Worth area. So, um, you know, he could be someone that to, to monitor down the road for sure. Congrats. Good win. Noah Lugo, good pull. Unique list, Nate. I so enjoyed that. Who are we missing in the room? We've got uh, a Hagen, right? Yeah, Cole Hagen. Cole Hagen. Yeah, Cole Hagen. So he's class of 2020. I didn't even bother looking at his stats because that would have been in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> he was Gatorade Player of the Year, though. Yeah, that he year. was. But he that was. was that was before a pandemic. So it's like it's been a minute since he's been we got, sitting in the rock. Uh, you guys mentioned Cade Fennigan. So his his last touchdown pass. Do you guys remember when that was? Boise was State. Yeah, Boise. Yeah, Boise against BYU yeah. in 2020. Yeah. So. That game, uh, missing, let's see, Micah Nick, Fea. Nick Billups. Yeah, Nick Billups, Micah Fea, and Dane Christensen. So I think Dane all three of those guys are walk-ons. But. Yeah, Micah Fea at Orem, and then Nick Billups at San Clemente, yeah. and then Dane Christensen down in Arizona. Dane Christensen's kind of interesting. I mean, he's he's got a unique quarterback number. Seeing that, a number 20 at QB at BYU, I'm like, huh? Like, well, what is that? That What is that number? But I can get down with that. Uh but he, you know, it's it's fascinating to see ten quarterbacks in the unit. I don't imagine that's going to be the amount that BYU has in the season. Uh, you know, I'm sure there will be some attrition and some movement that happens after spring. It's only natural. I mean, not everyone's going to be content being the eight string quarterback. It worked for Steve Young, <laughs> but it doesn't work for everyone, especially in this era with NIL and transfer portal and basically everyone saying. You know, like, you, you got to go play now. And the thing is, too, is that with quarterback, unlike any other position, it is so expensive to develop at quarterback uh, as a youngster. Like, if you emerge as a D1 prospect as a quarterback these days, you, your family has invested thousands, probably tens of thousands of dollars. And, look, I don't think any parents just saying, I need my ROI on this, and you got to play. But people feel like, hey, I'm ready. I need to play now. So, I fully expect there's going to be some movement in that room coming out of spring ball. But, yeah, 10 guys this year uh, during spring practices at the quarterback unit. Good list. Good stuff. We'll take the break. We'll keep going on the other side. Congrats on the win. Always feels good. So we were at BYU football spring ball day one. When was that? Two days ago? Yes. Thursday? When you become a parent to multiple kids, sometimes it's hard to remember the days. They just start to bleed together a little bit. Same old, same old. So anyways, Thursday we were there. That reminds me of John Rothstein's tweet today. What did he say? John Rothstein... Great college basketball insider who uh, apparently, not apparently, I, I know he has that Mark Pope shirt. And maybe there's going to be a, a, a moment here soon where you and I are wearing that shirt. 
Mark Pope keeping the faith. But apparently John Rothstein's watching his kid today because his wife his wife's at a bachelor party and he just said this is so difficult watching college basketball with just a, a solo parenting. <laughs> Sorry, John. It's tough, man. It losing is. track of the days. It really we is. We sleep in May, though. It really is. Anyways, what are some other tidbits you had? I, I know we, we talked a lot of quarterback. We got on some Reiner Swanson. What were some other tidbits that you observed from what you saw on day one. L.J. Martin. I thought L.J. Martin was impressive. The running back who's going to be RB1 for the Cougars. I think physically he looked really good. There was a run up the middle that he broke free. Would have been a big big gainer, but I, I liked what I saw from L.J. Martin. And I also liked some of the freshman running backs. Pokayawa, Hoonga, and then Jovesa Damuni. Damuni had a nice spin move. Hoonga's going to be I think he's going to be a factor. You know, because you look at that running back unit, they moved Nukaluve Hilu over to linebacker. Just the options are kind of limited. And then Hinkley Ropati is out with still recovering from his injury from last season. Uh, so he's going to be seldomly used in spring ball. You know, these freshmen, kind of like what the linebackers experienced last spring, where it was just a bunch of freshmen anchoring the snaps. Honga and Javesa Damuni got a valuable opportunity to really step in and say, we could be RB3, RB4. I mean, guys that are going to factor into the depth chart and get some snaps in the fall, valuable time for those freshmen. So I thought they looked pretty good in, in their first practice. I liked seeing Cody Epps and Parker Kingston running around, too. Mm. I, I, we didn't see a whole lot of, of meaningful snaps. I mean, no one was wearing pads, right? Like, it's, it's spring football, but just... Seeing Parker Kingston out there running around was a reminder to me that this was a dude who unexpectedly was a factor before he got dinged up last year. Like, think about the impact he played in that Arkansas win. He was huge. And I really like the pairing of him and Cody Epps, if they can share time and occupy that slot receiver role. Like, I I, I did come away feeling great about the pass-catching options at wide receiver. You got those two guys in the slot. Darius Lasseter was making some plays. Chase Roberts, we know what he can do. Like, I really like that group. And it was just a, you know, like walking in, I, I put this video out on X, formerly Twitter, just, you know, some storylines. And I'm like, hey, the top three guys are what? Chase Roberts, Darius Lasseter, Keelan Marion. Could Cody Epps, like, break in and return to form? I had, like, kind of forgotten about Parker Kingston. So, seeing him back, like, that's a great group of five guys. And th- that is probably a unit that they have to find a way to rely on, th- those wide receivers offensively. Another wide receiver, a deep cut. I wouldn't expect I know where you're him going to with play this. at all during I know the where season. you're going with this. Weston yes. Covey. <laughs> Brayton Covey's cousin. Good to see a Covey back at BYU. At B- yes, 100%. <laughs> But Weston Covey, it was interesting. Uh, he lined up incorrectly on one snap, and Jake Retzlaff's like, you got to get over here! I can't remember what he said. Yes. But he was telling him, which I like to see that from Retzlaff. He knows where everyone needs to be, even the wide receivers. It's a good sign. Like, you know, g- good chops from a quarterback. You, you want that? You want a leader in the room? Like in this like draft type of analysis? Like he knows everything that needs everyone needs to do in an offense? Good sign from Jake Retzlaff. But, yeah, I thought Weston Covey looked pretty good. He had two catches from Gary Bohannon, uh, played pre- played pretty well in his opportunity to step in in his first practice with BYU. He's a return missionary 
Uh, he was highly productive at Lone Peak High School, so he'll be a name I'll kind of stash away down the road. If you want to say maybe uh, big picture, who could be one day the next Daxville? Maybe it could be Weston Covey. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, you know, I thought another guy that's caught my attention was Therian Alexander, Trey Alexander. He's going to play right away this season, and he's a little bit thin, but, man, he has got so much speed. And that cornerback unit, they've got Jacob Robinson. You saw Mark Collins from Weber State. He's a preferred walk-on right now. I would expect that's going to change by the time fall rolls around. He's on scholarship. But Therian Alexander could be cornerback three or four right there with Maury Bamba. He's going to be a factor. He's going to be a really good one for BYU. I thought it was uh, nice to see Raider DeMooney getting getting some snaps. And he just looks like he's been home from his mission longer. And sometimes I don't know if we in the media and fans at home can really appreciate sometimes how long it takes to get back. Like you hear the stories of Austin Colley and Kyle Collinsworth where it's like, not only did they not skip a beat, they like somehow got better and they, they're, <laughs> they're freaks. Yeah. It's like, that is not the norm. And, and it's just not easy to come in physically and mentally and switch on to football. And he just, he looked a lot better and he was getting some meaningful snaps back there. Now look, there's some guys are limited, right? You're not going to see a lot of Micah Harper. Obviously, there's there's nothing to gain in spring football from Harper. But you know, Demuni getting some snaps, getting some looks. He, he was a highly recruited guy. Oh yeah, like, he's got talent. You want to see that come to fruition? Some real quick notes before we get out. Uh, personnel wise, they were banged up. Ethan Erickson, he was off to the side. We brought him up. Sonny Tuwala, defensive end, he was not suited up. Uh, Ty Burke is safety. He was off to the side. Sione Hengano, Caden Chidester, those guys were sidelined as well. Well, more BYU football talk. Also, BYU basketball as the Cougars get ready to take on TCU tonight right here on Cougar Sports Saturday. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete. Another touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hour number three is off and running here on Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL. BYU basketball is in action tonight against the TCU Horned Frogs. I haven't seen those guys in a minute. BYU, did you know, Matt, was undefeated against TCU in the Mountain West era? TCU was not good from my memory of the Mountain West yeah. era. Jimmer was jacking deep threes <laughs> and pouring it on the Horned Frogs back in the day. Jonathan Tavernari made sure to remind me that they never won a game against BYU in the Mountain West Conference era, but they re- renew their old history against each other tonight at the Marriott Center. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock, pregame at 6 BYU and TCU. Cougars looking for win number 21 on the season. They're 8-7 and seven overall in Big 12 play. Just a quick update in the Big 12 right now. Texas has gone final against Oklahoma State, 81-65 to 65 over OSU. And then UCF, Iowa State is underway. And the big one, Baylor, takes down Kansas, 82-63. to 
to 74. You surprised by that? Kansas goes down with with Kevin McCuller, who was in the lineup. I'm not surprised because I, I don't think – well, there's two reasons. Number one, that was a road game. It's very hard to win on the road. That, and that's one of the reasons why that BOU win against Kansas is so nice is because teams are losing I – mean, Kansas is lost on the road to West Virginia. Like, it's, it's, it, it's hard. And then – I think the other thing that doesn't surprise me is I just don't think this Kansas team's yeah. that good. Like, they're not deep and they don't shoot a lot of threes. And let me ask you this though: if they kind of bottom out or not bottom out by Kansas standards, but if they keep losing, does that take away the little a little bit of the the Definitely. luster for Definitely. BYU's win? You think it would? You you this is fine because Baylor's really good, and you also want Baylor to be good too. But you don't really want Kansas to lose any more games. Like m- maybe they make a run to the Big Twelve Championship. That would validate the win more than they go on some little slide here and they're just a three or four seed. It warmed my heart last Sunday. Uh, it was the day after the BYU Kansas State game. Had family dinner with my wife's brother and and his family and whatnot. You made it back for that? Yeah. Well, I wasn't. Oh, you, I was, I wasn't in Manhattan. Okay, you're right. Um, my son. My my uncle or not my uncle my brother in law has given my son some hard time like what happened to BYU against Kansas State because is, who does he root for he roots for the Utes okay my uh, brother in law okay we, he doesn't need to be mentioned by name here on Cougar <laughs> Sports Saturday but he cheers for the Utes he's giving my son a hard time saying hey what happened against Kansas State and my son to your point what you noted he's like it just warmed my heart he's already learning the ways it's hard to win in the Big Twelve Christopher it's hard to win in the Big Twelve I'm like. My son knows already. Toughest, yeah. toughest conference in America, baby. He already knows. All right. Let's get back to football, though, shall we? Uh, BYU Spring Football. If you miss any of the coverage, insight, observations, go to kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app. We got a bunch of bylines and content and YouTube videos, everything that you need on spring football. This was Kalani Satake on the strength and the explosiveness of this BYU team after day one. In our numbers and everything that we see, we've increased our strength and, and increased our explosiveness. And so uh, I, I think it's going to do really well for us. I hope that's true. I hope I hope that translates to games because there were times last year where this team did not feel fast yeah. and they didn't feel particularly strong. And those are two areas where, especially more so the strength, like is BYU ever going to be just a, a track and field team? Probably not. But – be fun. It's a fun thought. Like, will there be a day when BYU in the Big Twelve is the Oregon Ducks? The Just team with speed. The fear of them running the length of the field. I don't think so. EA Sports College Football Thirty Nine will have a bunch of ninety nine <laughs> overall speed players on where, BYU. Where they can and should be better, though, is in strength on yeah. both sides of the offensive and de- defensive line. Right, like they can get after the quarterback better and if they can protect and, and run block better that's going to go a long ways cuz last year's team man and like you can slice it and dice it any way you want the struggles of the team came down to the trench on on offense and defense and if they can improve in that just in that area alone they could probably be in a good position to go to a bowl game and what helped BYU maybe get ready for spring ball in this second year in the Big 12 the strength and conditioning staff, winter conditioning, and Tyler Batty, he was asked about how this past offseason was different 
than years past. Really different. You know what I mean? We have a, we have a whole new strength staff, a uh, whole new sports performance staff. And so having them here, you know, for a full, a full year now, you know, the way they came in and, and what they put into place, just how we're training, um, assessing guys' certain needs, right? You know, me versus Mori Bamba, you know what I mean? We don't, we don't have the same needs, right? Um, or, you know, Connor Pay versus Gary or Jake, you know what I mean? Very different needs, and so the new strength staff and performance staff has done a phenomenal job addressing everybody's individual, you know, weaknesses and, and getting them ready. But, you know, another part of that has just been discipline, team camaraderie, you know, just getting the guys together and, and on the same page, which has been huge. It's an underrated storyline, but I, I think there's some validity to it because the strength staff didn't get into place last year until Memorial Day. And so this is Ryan Phyllis, strength coach's first winter conditioning, for spring ball, just having the entire calendar year to be part of the program and set the expectation from day one in January to now heading into spring ball and being there for every phase of the offseason, I do think there's a little bit of a you know impact that that can have on what BYU ultimately puts out in the fall. I think so. And that, that was music to my ears. And yet at the same time, it kind of made me mad that that is music to my ears, that you're training different positions differently than others. I just... Well, last year, if you remember, they had some shakeup. They had new Tafisi. And then for a moment... It was Andy Reid's son that was leading the strength step, but then he goes back to the Chiefs, so it left a void in the strength and conditioning department. They still always had Colby Clawson and Dr. Skyler Maine, but they're, when you hear the sports scientists, sports performance guys, that's their department. You know, Ryan Phyllis is going to lead the strength and conditioning staff, and, and I did see some guys get a little bit bigger, but it's a different approach than... Uh, you know, maybe back in the day when it was Jay Omer or, or new to Feast, it's it's different style. It's more specialized to each individual Good. position and an individual for that matter. There's a lot more resources put into that training the last few years, and it continues to level up, which is a promising sign for BYU as they kind of entrench themselves in the Big 12 Conference. Back to the quarterback battle. We heard from both quarterbacks, Gary Bohannon and Jake Retzlaff. Here was... Bo Hannon on the quarterback competition. Oh, it's been good. Um, just finding ways to compete and help each other as much as we can. I mean, we all know what it is. It's a competition. We're coming out, finding ways to get better and helping each other get better at the same time. I like that attitude from Bo Hannon where, of course, and he noted this later in the interview, like, I want to play bad. Like, we all want to play. But having an attitude, too, where we're still going to have a good quarterback room. It, it's going to be friendly competition. We're helping everyone get better. You always like to hear that from the from the incoming players. I think it's also significant because I think Bohannon comes from a background where football was taken away and it was not clear that he was going to play ever again. So I think there's also, you know, he's a competitor. He wants to be that starter, absolutely. But I think he's also looking at it big picture where I want this team to get better. I want to win. I want to, you know, be back in the Big 12 championship game. And he was a culture add to what you know Kalani always talks about about the culture Gary Bohannon adds to that if Gary Bohannon doesn't you know throw 10 15 20 touchdowns or his impact will truly be felt in the locker room he is a locker room unifier and I think there's great value to that with Gary Bohannon in that sense I think he adds to Kalani Sataki's culture I mean there's not many guys in college football where a coach goes out of his way and says you know what I respect this guy so much 
I am going to tell him he's the number two quarterback so he can enter the portal before the deadline ends. That's what happened at Baylor. And, you know, I just think Gary Bohannon's a class act individual. He was great in the first, you know, media scrum with the general media on Thursday. It's a great story. You know, if he does emerge as the number one guy or starts in games at any point this year, you know, I think a lot of Cougar fans are going to be pulling for this guy and because it could be a really special story, not only for BYU, but nationally, too, because he was a name. He, he led Baylor to great heights. That 2021 Baylor team won 12 games, the most in Baylor's history. They won the Sugar Bowl. They won the Big 12 title. This guy's done some things in his time in college football, and it would be a pretty cool story if he could bounce back and, you know, return to – know what he's been in the past here's what Bohannon had to say about playing that particular position at BYU honestly I feel like everybody in the world know about the history of this position here like it's you got to match that level every year and that's what it's about like this every year there's a good quarterback in the system that runs this so you need that every single year every every team needs a really good quarterback because that's who's in command that's who's the leader on the field that's the guy so the quarterback position is very important well said yeah He's he's absolutely right, and, and this team in particular. We, we look, we've been doing the show a long time. We're good friends. We some of our conversations off the air are a lot of fun, but we were just talking about how this team needs a quarterback to elevate the, this group badly. Like, can and maybe it's Bohannon. Like, can someone just take it up a level, put this team on their back a little bit, and and get this team to a bowl game? Because it's going to take a lot from this offense to improve upon what they did last year. Quarterback play does so much for programs. You know, think about job security for coaches, the donations that boosters give after seasons where you got a high-profile quarterback. I mean, just the energy that a great quarterback can bring to a fan base, to a program, to a university, it's huge. And I just feel like, you know, for BYU – they're in a spot where it's not one of these deals where that's the one missing piece. That's not the case at all. Like BYU's got questions across the board, but if they can get a resounding answer at quarterback, they can get to the postseason. They are good enough personnel-wise to get to a bowl game. They might squeak in and get six wins, but they have to have some clarity at that QB spot because if they don't, Matt, this is the type of schedule where you could win only two or three games. Yep. And that sounds crazy to BYU fans, and rightfully so, because this is a program that over the last 50 years is eighth in wins in college football. This is a winning program. They don't live in a world where it's maybe they go 2-10. and 10. Like that, That's not BYU way, period. And I don't care that they're in the Big 12. You don't do that at BYU where you're going 2-10, and 3-9. and nine. There's a standard of what BYU should be, and if they can get good quarterback play – they are good enough to get back to the postseason and get their footing in this conference because that's also the great storyline in this season. And just as they, they get into the heart of being in this new Big 12, it's just like finding what they are. Basketball has it where they're this three-point heavy shooting team. What's football going to be? Are they going to be a, 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 a physical ground attack team like We've seen from some of the Texas Techs, the Kansases, the Oklahoma States, or are they going to be this pass-it-all-over-the-yard type team like Big 12 teams of old? I'm curious to see how it all unfolds, Matt. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's take a break and shift gears back to BYU Hoops. They play tonight against TCU. We'll start to break that one down on the other side. 
Let's get back to BYU hoops here on Cougars Sports Saturday. They just took down Kansas, though. Kansas did lose to Baylor, so they're going to slip in the polls. 0-2 week. Where, where do they fall, do you think? 11, 12? I'll say 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a bummer. But if BYU wins today, 2-0 with wins over teams in the top 30, that should put them top 20, you'd think, right? No question. I would say bump them up to 18, maybe 15. I mean, they were they were a team that was they're ranked not, all year. They're not going to get that benefit. There's I honestly no thought they got dropped out because it was voter fatigue. I think voters just they had some no new business blood. getting dropped out. No, it was ridiculous that they got dropped out of the AP Top Twenty Five poll. It was insane. You beat Baylor, and it's like, oh, we're going to drop you. You're not because you lost on the road to K State, who is still being considered in bracketology. They're like in that bubble. No, yeah, like that. Not the last four out. The next four. The, out. the next four out. Yeah. I mean, they're still in the range. Give me a break. I, I thought the pollsters just wanted new blood at the end of the poll, and they're like, "Oh, we've had BYU in all year. We're gonna bounce them." Yeah, it, and they just wanted to be proven that their theory that BYU isn't good is right. And well, look what happened. They uh, said, "You got to put us back in, bud." Yep. All right. Well, TCU. That's tonight, seven p.m. May want to give a little extra time to get yes. there based on the current weather conditions, snowing here in Salt Lake City. Take your time. Please take your time. <laughs> we all want to get there safe. Pre-game at 6 p.m. right here on KSL News Radio. Let's get into the three-pointer where we break down this matchup with a key stat, some players to watch, and some bold predictions. Maybe before we get to that, too. here Because this is something we're all wondering how is this team going to put that big win behind them? Here's what Mark Pope had to say about looking ahead to TCU. This TCU team is incredible, actually. They're so good. It's not surprising. It's humbling. So I, my, the reason I said it, I don't think it's hard. It's just like, so what, what, what is there not to turn the page on? It's a fair point. There's there's a lot to play for. This is a good team. They're not nationally ranked, but they're they're getting a lot of votes. They're right there on the fringe. So let's start with the key stat, Mitch. What do you got? Third. That's TCU being the third most experienced team in college basketball. TCU's got 10 seniors on their roster, eight play in their rotation, but they are experienced. And I bring this up because when you go on the road, you got to be an experienced team that's not going to be phased by the Marriott Center. And I just think TCU will probably be very, they will be unfazed by the Marriott Center. I mean, like the Marriott Center has an ability to rattle anyone, but. When you got so much experience that TCU does, they've been together too quite a bit. This will be a, a tough test uh, against TCU that will come in very feeling very confident. They're a team that has won five games on the road this year, the most they've had on the on the road since 2004. So, I think their experience is noteworthy as a key stat coming into this matchup. Mine is steals. TCU is 19th in the country in steals per game. I feel like they've got to turn BYU over if they're going to get some extra possessions and beat BYU in the Marriott Center. Look, BYU, to their credit, they've done an outstanding job this year of taking care of the ball. They're third in the country currently in assist-to-turnover ratio. They share it. They take care of it. They have to share it and take care of it if they're going to beat a TCU team that is certainly capable of beating them on the road. Players to watch for you in this matchup, Matt. Who who's, who are the players that are, you're keeping an eye on against TCU? 
For me, on the BYU side of things, it is Fush Traore. Like, he didn't score a lot on the road against Kansas, but boy, was he impactful late in the game in making the right decision. I think he had, what, seven rebounds, six points, five assists. Five, five, and five is good. And if he can, two of the biggest plays of the game, in my opinion, came off of Foose passes. He had that one where he got dumped down deep into the paint. You would never expect Foose to get that deep and to kick it back out. Wisely kicks it quickly back out to Jackson Robinson, buries the three. There's another one where he whips it around into the corner to Noah Waterman, buries the three. I just, Foose can be a difference maker in more ways than just scoring the basketball, as we saw against Kansas. I feel like he has to have another impactful game against TCU. Look, all eyes are going to be on the three-point shooting. These teams are good shooting teams. But can Foose make an impact down low? I think he can. How impressed were you with my Foose impression at basketball practice on Thursday on the Marriott Center floor? Pretty. That was pretty great. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, too. We had this impromptu KSL News Radio versus Deseret News game of pig (laughs) on the Marriott Center floor. Juice Woodson was like, who are these guys on our floor? Juice, is this okay? He's he's the team manager. Uh, But, yeah, they they were like, it's okay. You can can play. And then then Jax and the crew, they uh, took over practice and and went through their thing. Uh, For me, for BYU, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Dallin Hall. What a performance he had at Kansas. You know, I think one thing about Hall is doing it every single night. You know, for every game at West Virginia when you have eight assists, for every game at Kansas, 18 points, there sometimes could be some dips. What can we expect from Hall tonight? I'm very curious to see how he performs. You know, in that game against Kansas, he was dealing with foul trouble. He was had, you know, four fouls early in the game, but – Never waver, never trust, or continue to trust his teammates. And this was Dallin after the Kansas game. Just tried to stay engaged. I really trust this team. And that was one thing, like, when I sat down on the bench, I've, you know, we've had such great depth all year. And the next guy's ready to step up. So I trusted in our guys and just stayed engaged because I knew, you know, there'd be a point where I had to step back in. And the guys, they really carried us. Jack stepped up huge, bunch of pieces, really carried us through that foul trouble stretch, and then when it was my turn to step up, I tried my best to to fulfill that role for the team. And he fulfilled that in a big way, scoring 18 points against KU. But I think more importantly, when, when Hall's at his best, it's facilitating. I think that's when BYU's offense is operating at a high level. I'm curious to see that tonight. For, uh, on the TCU side of things, quickly, uh, Jameer Nelson Jr., uh, his dad, played in the NBA, uh, lost in NBA Finals to the Lakers. I remember that vividly growing up. So, uh, Jameer Nelson Jr. for me. Ernest Uday, a Kansas transfer, transfer. He's a sophomore, seven-footer. Questions on whether or not he will play. Jamie Dixon, TCU head coach, has said it's up to Ernest if he wants to play. It's his decision. Uh, so he's been dealing with an injury. We'll keep tabs on that. He's started 25 games for the Horned Frogs this year. Bold prediction. I'll go first, Mitch. I think BYU, they're an underrated rebounding team. They out-rebounded Kansas in the second half. Like, They've really impressed me in rebounding. I think at home, they're going to rebound well against TCU. Out-rebound the Horned Frogs by double digits. I like that. Uh, I'm going to go with a very bold prediction. Both teams combined for 20-plus made three-pointers. These are the top two three-point shooting teams in the Big 12. I think the threes are going to be flying early and often in this game. 20-plus threes for 
combined for both teams. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to this matchup. Don't be uh, dismayed by the lack of uh, rankings ahead of these two teams. Really good basketball teams. And this this is a big game for BYU. You get this one, you're at nine. You're no worse than even in league play. Big one tonight. Pre-game right here at 6 p.m. on KSL News Radio. We'll take the break. More BOU basketball coming your way as we wrap up Cougar Sports Saturday in this final hour. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. It's complete. Another touchdown! Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday. It's a BYU basketball game day. Cougars are 8-7 in Big 12 play, going for win number 9 tonight against TCU. Who would have thought, Matt, that BYU would be in a position where they've got a winning record in, in Big 12 play in front of them? They got the chance to uh, you know, have a really special season this year for BYU hoops, and it's just a fun ride. I'm curious to see how it all progresses. BYU, TCU, Tonight, your your feelings just on, on this team and the follow-up act after that big Kansas win? Man, I'm just so impressed at the way they closed that game out because I've had real concerns all year long that can they, in a close game, like where do they go? Who's the guy? Like There's so much talk about this team having depth and the scoring is coming from so many different players, but at the end of games, where do you go? And I, and I kind of feel like the answer to that is Dallin Hall. I felt like he made so many great plays, even when he wasn't taking and making shots, getting the offense going, getting it into the right hands. I, I just felt like he took a big step forward, and I want to pat myself on the back. I don't do this very often, but on Cougar Nation, and we'll be doing Cougar Nation on Monday night. So yes, we will. It's a, it's a great recap show where we break down the previous game, Every single Monday, 6 to 7 p.m., right here in KSL News Radio, we asked the question, what do they have to do to beat Kansas? And I was like, Dallin Hall has got to play one of the games of his lives. Like, we need 15 and 8. And what did we get, 15 and 5 or something? I can't remember. 18. 18. I mean, he was unbelievable. And he was great in the second half. He, The fact that he also – I can't believe we haven't talked about this, Mitch. Gets into foul trouble, bogus foul trouble. And he's able to stay in the game almost up until the very end. Like, that was great poise, great confidence. I think he took a huge step forward. I want to see that tonight, too. I don't need to say 18, but it can't be uh, six points on two of ten. Like, let's get – now that we've seen where he can get to, let's see that happen repeatedly game after game over a, a longer period of time. Letdown is the worry tonight against TCU, but you know what? Mark Pope, he's not worried. He feel like, he feels like BYU's bas- best basketball is still ahead of him. I think our best basketball is ahead of us. I hope so. Really, realistically, everybody's best basketball is ahead of them. It's just a matter of will you be determined enough and, and focused enough to actually go achieve it. I don't I'm, agree with that one bit. Everyone's best basketball is not still ahead of yeah, them. Yes, some teams are checked <laughs> out, man. Yeah, like They're like, let's get over with the season. We're done. Like let's let's Speaking check West out. West Virginia's best basketball is ahead Ew. of them. I don't either. I was 
quietly believing in West Virginia at the time they played BYU, no. they're just not good. No. Nope. They're, they're just not good. You, you can't bring in 10, 11, 12 transfers and think it's going to work. Even I, the transfer. <laughs> that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> I have now even come to the dark side and admit that just adding a dozen transfers does not solve your problems. It has to be a certain fit. And credit to BYU. Mark Pope, they have done a great job at that. And the great thing is, Matt, as the calendar is now March, we know that BYU basketball is going to be in March Madness. And how yep. cool is that? Because you think about it, since 2015, almost a decade now, What's this would be be the ninth NCAA tournament since 2015. BYU's only been to the dance in 15 and 2021. They would have been there in 2020 had it been there, but... These have not been common occurrences no. for BYU to get to March Madness. And to think that, you know, there's three games left to be played in the regular season and then the Big 12 Conference Tournament, and you're in. You're comfortably in. What a great spot for BYU to the point where now you're playing for seeding, and if you can get hot, maybe you can get a four seed playing in, in Salt Lake City. You know, so, so much is in front of BYU. It's an exciting time, and a big reason for their success has been on the defensive end. And assistant coach Cahill Fennell has been a big reason for that. I caught up with Coach Cahill Fennell earlier this week at practice and asked him what his how his phone was blowing up after that big win over Kansas. Yeah, of course. A lot of people reached out. A lot of people have been following us, obviously, around the country and um, friends and family and everybody that's involved. Um, you know, it's a big win. It's a big win for our program. It's a big win for our guys. I'm really happy for our guys that they got to experience that on the road in a really cool environment. Um, and they earned it. They played really, really well, and they deserve to win. And um, now we got to turn the page and be ready for Saturday. What changed, though, defensively uh, in that game, if anything at all? was Or was it just the execution of the players? Was there something you guys threw in a new wrinkle uh, against Kansas that – kind of that defense that we knew in non-conference play, it felt like it showed up again in Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, I think I think you made the right point. I think, you know, the defense that we've shown throughout the season really before the last, you know, that last stretch of that last half of, of UCF, um, our guys were really, really solid and sound and intentional with how they worked defensively and how they approached the game on that end of the floor. And uh, I think that came back to the fore against Kansas. And uh, I think hopefully they proved to themselves that, you know, when we when we show up with that approach and that mindset on that end of the floor, that we can beat anybody, we compete with anybody. And, um, you know, hopefully that continues. Was it, what, what was that plane ride like coming back home? It was long. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of a snowstorm out there. It was really strange, you know, kind of Midwest weather where it was 70 degrees during the day, and then we came out after the game, and it was snowing, and it was... I thought the same thing. I was stunned. I was like, it was 73 degrees when I got in the building. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So our, our flight was significantly delayed, and we didn't know if we were going to get out. So um, all that part was was a little bit longer, but it was, it's easy to deal with that kind of stuff after a win like that. And, um, you know, for myself and a lot of the coaches just preparing for Saturday and getting ready for some film stuff and, and everything that goes along with it. Now the calendar is in March, and we, everyone knows that this month it just means so much for college basketball, and you guys are in a spot. You put yourself in a position to have every game mean in, in such a, a significant way. How do you guys avoid a letdown after a big win? What do you? What, what does this team have to do to be dialed in and get right for this TCU team that's had a lot of big wins in their own right? Yeah, hopefully the caliber of the opponent really kind of makes our guys sit up and take notice, right? TCU's really, really good. They're very, very talented. They're tough. They're physical. They're extremely hard playing. Uh, they're one of the most physical and, and toughest teams that we've played all season, along with, you know, the Houstons of the world and San Diego States and people like that. So um, we really have to bring our hard hats and be ready to compete and uh, be ready to fight. They're going to be hungry coming off a loss to Baylor, and it's going to take everything that we have to come out victorious. 
what's made this BYU team in, in your viewpoint, your second year with the program, uh, where they have this ability to either bounce back or, or continue to kind of answer the answer the call when people feel like, okay, maybe this is a letdown spot, but these this team always just kind of answers and, and responds and maybe surprises people from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think the experience and the maturity of our guys has, has really played a factor in that. These are guys that have played in a lot of basketball games. They've seen a lot of road environments and hard losses and great wins, and uh, they've kind of been through the rigors of college basketball, so they know what to expect. They know how to react. Uh, they know how to bounce back if necessary. So um, I think on an individual basis, we have a pretty old team, as you know. Um, but then also Coach Pope's done a fantastic job kind of managing that and managing the roster and, and keeping guys on the same page and, and keeping us pulling in the same direction. So uh, I think it's a kind of a confluence of factors that have, to this point, has is, is really served us well. What I'm curious on, on this, uh, what was it that, uh, you know, coming into this season where you were kind of designated as the, I guess, unofficial defensive coordinator of this team, what, what kind of inspired that? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you have like a background, like kind of being a defensive specialist at your previous stops, or was this is this kind of a new territory for you? Uh, it's you know previous stops, you know you do a little bit more of everything, um, and still we do we, all of us do a lot of everything here. So it's not like I just do defense or I just do this. Um, all of us you know play our hands and and, and have a hand in, in different aspects of the program. So that's important to note. But um, I, I think you know as far as previous experience, yes, it was. Uh, you know, you're still doing scouts, you're still doing a lot of prep work and things like that, but there was never a designation of the defensive coordinator. Obviously, I didn't have that last year. Um, you know, I'm fortunate that Coach Pope um, really kind of empowered me to, to take on that kind of responsibility and that kind of a role and, and have such a heavy influence on the defense and make those kind of decisions and make decisions during the game and in our, in our game prep and things in the offseason and how we're going to approach things defensively in general. So um, I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of people have said how this BYU program offensively is kind of an outlier in the league as far as style goes. The offenses that you do see in the conference when you're scouting them, what are some of the kind of common trends? I mean, from from my vantage point, it seems like it's, there's obviously physicality, as you know, with TCU, but are there other common traits that, that do stand out amongst these kind of legacy Big 12 teams? Yeah, there's there's a lot of similar actions involving ball screens and some Spain action stuff where it's a ball screen where the bat, where the uh, roller is back screened by another guard. Um, there's some a lot of a lot of similar feels from like a driving kick, dribble drive situation where they can spread the floor and have athletes get downhill and, and manufacture offense for themselves and manufacture offense for their teammates. Um, and that's less of play call stuff and more just like you, you have to guard the man in front of you. So um, that can be really, really challenging when you're when you're going against you know NBA caliber offensive players so uh, a, a lot of these teams run similar stuff and, and have similar philosophies on how they attack the off on the offensive end and it's just incumbent upon us to, to figure out how to stop it last thing for you coach how year two how's kind of being settled in in a season here at BYU how's the experience still going for you here in Provo and how much are you and your family enjoying it yeah my family loves it uh, you know I have two boys a 10 and 9 year old and they play a ton of sports and um, there's a lot of youth sports here, and they're they're, they're very they're very very well organized and attended, and um, it's a very cool situation for our guys, for my boys, I should say, and, and they they really enjoy their experience, they enjoy their school situation. My my youngest son's in a French immersion program, so mm. he's happy there and doing all that kind of stuff. So uh, Provo has been good to my sons, and and that that goes a long way with me. Well, glad to hear that, Coach, and always appreciate the time. Again, congrats on that win. But now it's looking ahead to TCU, and best of luck in this game and and this home stretch. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. We'll take the break here. On the other side, we'll wrap up the show, continue our breakdown of BYU and TCU, and give you some score predictions for the game tonight at 7 p.m. right here on KSL News Radio. Final 
final segment of the show, Mitch, here on Cougar Sports Saturday. You caught up with Camille Fennell. Maybe quickly before we give our score predictions for tonight's game against BYU and TCU. Pre-game, 6 p.m., tip at 7. Any any just takeaways from this coaching staff as a whole this year? I feel like this group's done a great job, and, and Fennell's been a good part of it defensively. I think it was a great move by Mark Pope, as you heard in that interview. It's kind of unexpected that they went to this, you're handling the defense, you're handling the offense. There's still a collaborative effort, but I think it was a smart move by Pope to say, you're going to be spearheading this defensive effort and to kind of have someone take ownership of that. And we've seen before in football, the collaborative collaborative effort bit doesn't always work. Uh, and in basketball, you could say the same. So I just think that having that... Almost like you're. This is your thing. It's kind of elevated things for for uh, BYU and Figer leads the offense. Nick Robinson handles the scheduling. Colin Terry's working with the bigs and everything else that needs to fill the gap. So it's a well-oiled machine with that BYU basketball staff. I mean, this group they've been all together for for quite a few years now. Except you know, Fennell, this this is uh, his second year, but Robinson and Figer have been there every step of the way since Mark Pope arrived on campus. So I think they've done a really good job this year and they were so meticulous and studied hours of the nuances of the Big 12. They were prepared. And I think credit to these guys for doing their homework on the styles, the personnel of this league. Nothing's caught them off guard and I think that's why you see this BYU team at 8 and 7 in the conference. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that interview we had and you can go back and listen to it. You with, uh, maybe it was both of us, actually. I can't remember, but Cody Feger, when he talked about just, they were analyzing every, are we going to stay the week when we go on a two-game road trip? Do we come back? How we do, you know, they've, they've, they've come back like they did against Kansas State. They've stayed. That didn't work out too well against Oklahoma, but this has been a really, uh, well-prepared group. And, And you can see it in the way that they're, their game plans, how they adjust defenses mid-game. It's been fantastic to see this coaching staff and this experienced group reach the heights that they have. And now we got to turn the page over to TCU and BYU. This is a big game. And I think the big question on everyone's minds, we've discussed it already today, is can this team avoid the letdown, the hangover? It's not a term that you know maybe you, <laughs> you would say, use a uh, whole lot. But can you avoid a letdown? Against a TCU team where, look, TCU's good. They're they're not going to probably win the conference, but they can certainly come here and beat BYU in the Marriott Center. As we noted earlier this hour, you know, they've got 10 seniors on their roster, eight in their rotation. Most road wins they've had in a single season since 2004, so they're not going to be phased by playing in the Marriott Center. They've been in hostile environments and have won ball games. I mean, you know, this was a team that, Got to the round of 32 last year. Jamie Dixon's done a great job with the TCU program. And think back to when he left Pitt for TCU. It feels like a lifetime ago. That would have been unthinkable to leave the ACC for some afterthought program in TCU and hoops. Because we we got a front row to TCU for years in the Mountain West. And to a lesser degree in that 16-team whack back in the day, they had some good teams in, in the whack era with like Lee Nalen and whatnot. But... Uh, TC basketball was an afterthought. They were not good, and they have really r- risen uh, to a high level with this program, and it's good. They, they, they're going to have good personnel. They're not as good defensively as they've been in years past. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, Matt. What about you? I think it's going to be a 
maybe, yeah, I think it's going to be in the 80s. I, I like BYU to win this one. I think, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I think that the Marriott Center, it's a, it's a sellout. Hopefully the weather cooperates and doesn't make it a super slow arriving crowd. You know, there's been some pr- predictions out there that there could be, you know, up to eight inches of snow on the road. Let's knock on wood. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But this Marriott Center home crowd has been elite this year. It has been up there with everyone in the Big 12, Mitch. I, I've been we, – we're at all the games. I've been so impressed. And we've heard opposing coaches say this crowd gave BOU a lift. And I've felt that as well. I'm sure you have. I think that's going to be the case again today. On the road – Maybe I don't know if they can repeat that performance two times in a row, but at home, I like BYU to win this one, eighty-one uh, seventy-two. I, I like that pick. I think you know BYU is going to have maybe a little bit of a lapse defensively because these two teams they lead the league in three-point field goals in Big Twelve play. I'm going to say BYU comes away with the win though, and I think it's going to be high scoring, like I noted. I'm going to go BYU ninety-one. TCU 88. I think the Cougars win a high-scoring affair. It's going to be close. It might go a full 40 minutes, but I think BYU comes out on top and gets a critical win as they move one step closer to March Madness. Crazy to think we're only a few weeks away till Big 12 tournament, March Madness. It's almost here. This is March. This has been Cougar Sports Saturday. We appreciate all of you for listening to the program. Make sure to tune in tonight. Pre-game starts at 6. Tip-off at 7. BYU and TCU right here on your legacy home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio.